Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marks and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome back to the program, everybody. Very happy to have you here at the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. And as ever always, I am your host, Martin Lestraps. Very happy to be here with you. I hope you had an opportunity to listen to our epic two-hour Academy Awards episode last week. Uh, Chanel and I were both very proud of that episode. We were very happy with uh, with how it turned out. So we hope you had a chance to listen to it. If you haven't, by all means, go back and take a listen. It is, of course, pretty epic. It's two hours long. It's a little bit over two hours, I think. So, you know, you can listen to it in pieces, 20 minutes here, 15 minutes there. We don't mind. Just as long as you check it out, because we're both very, very proud of it. Uh, for today's episode, um, uh, I'm having a conversation with another another friend of mine who uh, who I've known for a couple of years. His name is Nick Knoll. Nick recently started a, a podcast called Left. He created the show with Michelle Dowd, who's also his his co-host on Left. Uh, it's a really cool show, really interesting premise. The idea of Left is Nick and Michelle they interview people, just regular everyday people. Uh, but anybody who's who's left some sort of situation in their in their life, you know. So maybe maybe they leave uh, the traditional boundaries of marriage. Maybe they leave the the military. Maybe they leave a crippling drug addiction. But whatever it is, they've left something that's had a, a very big impact on their life, and they tell the story about it. So it's it's a it's a terrific podcast. And so when I talk to Nick today, we're gonna we spend some time talking about his podcast. But on top of the podcast, Nick Knoll, in general, he he might very well be the the busiest person I know, because on top of the podcast, he actually spends a lot of time both acting and producing, generally collaborating in independent films, and he's made uh, quite a few of them. So uh, Nick is also a, a college professor. He teaches college English. We met at Mount San Antonio College. Uh, I'd, I'd never seen him before. I was just uh, hanging out in the office, you know, doing work. And uh, he happened to be in there, and he said he said hello, I think primarily because we were the only two people in there. Uh, he said hello, and within a couple of minutes, we'd become fast friends. And I've known him ever since. He's he's a really great guy, and I'm, and I'm so very happy that, uh, that that I met him. And even more than that, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, that uh, I've known him long enough that when I started this podcast, I was able to, to call him up and bring him down and, and sit him in front of a microphone so you guys can meet him, because I think you're going to like him an awful lot. So during the course of my conversation with Nick Knoll, we're going to talk about his podcast, Left. We also spent some time talking about uh, a movie called The Never Daunted, which of the eight independent feature films that uh, Nick Knoll has acted in, The Never Daunted, it's his favorite, but it's also the one where uh, it's closest to his heart because he was the uh, he was the featured actor in that movie, and he was also a, a co-producer on the movie. So he had a lot to do with that one. So we spent uh, quite a bit of time talking about that. But I mentioned a, a few minutes ago that that Nick is almost certainly the the most busy person that I know because on top of being a podcaster and an actor in independent films and a college professor, Nick also finds time 
to do volunteer work. For as long as I've known him, he's always been very passionate about, you know, volunteering his time to help out, you know, his community. And so currently he's the president of the Claremont chapter of Meals on Wheels and and he's very passionate about that. And so we end up, you know, having a, a very interesting discussion just about, you know, his volunteer work and volunteer work in general, both in, in, in the community and just in our in our country in general, and you know, some of his concerns that it's it's getting harder and harder, he says, to uh, to find people to to volunteer. So he he voices some of his concerns about that. Anyhow, uh, I'm really satisfied with this conversation I had with my buddy Nick Knoll. Uh, I think you're going to like him and this conversation an awful lot. So if all of that sounds good to you, then let's move on with the show. So you're the, uh, you're the co-host of a, of a podcast. It's, it's called The Left Show. It's uh, Left. Left. So right. it's called Left. Um, and it's a relatively new podcast. You've, uh, I believe you have what, maybe two or three episodes that I've listened to. How far are you into it? I think we're three or four. And um, we're almost cheating calling it a podcast because we actually haven't <laughs> put it on iTunes yet, but we're working on that to host it. That's cool. But you have a website and uh-huh. you've, got, uh, you've got episodes. Yeah, uh, it's... And, it's, and it's very engaging. I love the show. Thanks. So um, go, ahead and, uh, go ahead and tell everybody uh, what the show is about. Give them a rundown. It was at www.leftpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. And what it is, it's about people who have um, left something out of their life or left mm-hmm. something, you know, quit something, made difficult decisions, or just decided to take unconventional right, you know, routes. Yeah, and, and I love that premise. And the first time when, when you first told me about the show, uh, and in fact, I don't even think you told me the, the premise – you let me know, you let me know that you'd started the show and and, uh, and I was really excited to check it out and when I saw it was called left um I guess I just I just I think I assumed it was a political show it's like right. all right I'll listen to some political talk I'm okay with that I think most people have thought that yeah and I kind of like I and I kind of like that you know it's it the the premise is it's relatively straightforward well it's very straightforward it's relatively simple but within a simple premise um, you get really great stories out of it, really great interviews. I think the first episode, I think it is the first episode, there, you had two separate guests. Uh, the first one, I think it was a gentleman who was uh, in the military, right? and he got out. And then the second interview was, uh, was a married couple, and they were leaving the sort of traditional boundaries of marriage and, and entering... Uh, I don't know if I don't know if they would call themselves swingers or just sort of going into an, an open marriage. They definitely like. did not want to be called swingers. That was, that <laughs> which, was, I, which, yeah. which, which I, I can understand. I'm sure that has a very specific connotation in uh, in that community, um, uh, and, and 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 very engaging. One of the things that I was initially curious about that I'd love to get your thoughts on is, um, especially with the married couple who was going into an open marriage. That's such a personal thing like a crazy right. personal thing. Uh, how do you find these people and how comfortable were they, you know, sharing their story? I think being together actually made them more comfortable. That's one of the challenges we've been running into is, I mean, it's amazing that guests want to come on the show, yeah. share their stories. Most of them are anonymous, but as soon as the mic is in front of them, you know, <laughs> we get these emailed stories that are incredible yeah. with just riveting details. Yeah. Um, you know, everything people want to hear about sex abuse just anything yeah. and then when the mic's in front of them it it's really hard to get it to come out yeah and it's hard to it, sometimes we just don't have any content yeah and you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings 
Sure. You know, sure. Thanks for coming out, and we love it that you were here and you shared. But there's just sometimes there's just nothing that can be put up. But um, I think the couple actually being together on air actually made them both more comfortable. And it was interesting yeah. because we asked questions that it didn't seem that they had thought about or talked about too much together, but they had a great rapport with each other. That's cool. It was almost like they were doing some uh, like couples therapy and podcast. Right. Me. Yeah. That's cool. And and uh, and, and you have a, a co-host, Michelle Dowd. And uh, how did you guys, uh, well, how do you guys know each other? And how did you sort of end up collaborating on the, this podcast? We met at um, Chafee College mm-hmm. through an acquaintance. She's a um, full-time faculty member at Chafee. Mm-hmm. And she also does the um, literary journal, the Chafee Review. Oh, yeah. And yeah. the film festival. So um, I got involved with that. And then we both were talking about our love for podcasts. And uh, I have to grudgingly admit she came up with the with the title <laughs> Left because we were brainstorming it. And I was sitting there thinking, Left Out take a left and she just said why don't we call it left and it, it <laughs> and i stomped out of the office angrily <laughs> <laughs> i know that feeling yeah. i know that feeling there's this great idea in the air and somebody else pulled it out right i totally get that uh do you guys have um there doesn't seem to be like a like an even distribution of you know i'll talk you talk i'll talk you talk so have you guys have you guys worked out any of that or is it just sort of you, you turn on the mics and just just kind of go with you know how the how the show's going. We actually talked about that and decided that she actually has more of a radio voice mm-hmm. than I do. Uh, and you know, uh, I even told her that, and she's, you know, she no, you'll sound great. So we recorded ourselves talking, listened to it, and she said, "Yeah, you're right." <laughs> <laughs> she said, "I actually sound better than you." So we generally have her. That's true. You know, unless I have, I a, mean, she a, sounds great. I mean, I say that's true. You sound great. Don't, right. I, I don't, yeah. don't don't take that. <laughs> I mean, she sounds. Uh, she has a very. She sounds really good and natural. Uh, you know, in, in audio form. I, and I think she actually is able to get more out of people with her questions than mm-hmm. I am. You know, uh, I'm sitting there with my game face on. Most people think I'm mad when I'm not smiling. <laughs> so, um, but she she's very kind. So she's it's easier for her to get the people to. Yeah, because I, I mean, I've done. Um, I've done a couple of interviews uh, for this podcast so far, but I but I always I think I sort of have a, a little bit of an advantage because my interviews are generally based around just kind of talking about what not only talking about what somebody's got going on, but it's usually something that they're excited to talk about. Maybe they're an author or an actor or a comedian or like you, you know, a, another podcaster. And so in my case, it's just a matter of you know engaging and engaging them in something that they're really excited to talk about. In your case, you're getting them to talk about something that it's something that's very important in their lives, but they might not be excited to talk about it. Uh, is 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 that something that maybe you've hit any sort of walls, or have had to find creative ways, either either you or Michelle, mm-hmm. to you know not to I don't know I don't know that like I know you personally, and I know that you wouldn't want to manipulate somebody into saying something they don't want to say, but have you find have you found any sort of creative ways to help? get people comfortable or to, to, to share, you know, their stories more, uh, uh, I don't know, more intimately. We, we email them a set of, uh, questions and then we usually ask them about the answers that they, oh, that's a good idea. They provide. But, um, with like the married couple, for instance, um, they had not come out to a lot of people mm-hmm. and they even say that on the show. And mm-hmm. uh, apparently, um, and they were uh, anonymous, right on the show. Yeah. I don't remember. Okay. Right. And, um, and it was, it was actually an avenue for them to come out to people, uh, you know, hey, we'd like you to listen to this interview we did. Oh, that's cool. And um, apparently that was really successful because you actually hear 
all the questions people want to know. Yeah. You know, because I think there's a uh, people misconstrue the open marriage thing, and I think people think there's a lack of love. Yeah. It, you know, and that's definitely not true yeah. in their case. Yeah. And in their particular interview, I remember thinking how strongly their relationship kind of came through to me that there there was a really deep love mm. for for them. Uh, and, and again, you know, it's not like they were. It's not like they're like performers or actors, so they I don't I don't imagine that they could just fake that. And especially, you know, over in this audio format, it came through to me like really strongly that they really do seem to care about each other. They really do seem to care about their marriage and their relationship and they weren't you know, this didn't feel like this was like one step in the direction of we're going to split up eventually. It almost came across as, you know, this is one step into, you know, this new terrain that at least at the point of that interview really seemed to kind of strengthen the, like their relationship. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that comes through. And I think that's probably, that's a, well, that's definitely a testament uh, to, to you and Michelle and, you know, the work that you were doing with like that uh, particular conversation. Um, do you guys have shows? Uh, Cause like, I know with me, like I've done like uh like I've interviewed some folks. And so I have, I essentially have, you know, interviews that are, that are, you know, uh, basically on the back burner, that it's just a matter of me kind of, you know, offering it up. Uh, have you guys had conversations with people where, you know, it's just a matter of kind of releasing it or, or how, how do you kind of schedule out your, your shows? She seems to know everybody in the world. Michelle does. <laughs> so she, she has a lot of people who, um, have signed up or emailed us. And, um, so we, good. we kind of have some, I, I, I know a few, um, we also try to take the opportunity when it comes up, and like I missed one the other day. I sold some something to some guy on Craigslist. It was for a trailer hitch, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, it was a young guy too. I didn't expect him to be that young, and he, he came by, and um, I said, "What did you need this for anyway?" And he, um, he said, "Oh, I'm on my way to Mexico right now." And I said, <laughs> wow. uh, "Right now? Are you not going to go home?" Or nope. He, he showed me the back of his truck was full, and uh, I said, "Well, why are you going down to Mexico?" And he said, "I just want to do it, man. I just quit school, quit my job, and said." Wow. You know, I've never been to Mexico, so I have about six months' money worth of pay saved up, and I'm just going to go see what I can do. And I said, well, I shook his hand, wished him luck, and he left. And then I, I said, <laughs> shit, that would have been – and then I've, oh, I've emailed no. him to no avail. He hasn't responded. I was thinking, shit, that would have been a great person to interview. So sometimes when – you oh, know, that's too bad. Yeah, because like halfway through that story, I was getting happy. I was like, right. oh, that's great. I can't <laughs> right. wait to hear that episode. Right. <laughs> that did not go the direction I thought it was going to go. But uh, we do have a um, – an interview coming up um, with a young woman who she's a friend of my girlfriend and uh, she had breast cancer mm-hmm. and she's um, she's only 28 I think oh good and uh, you know she'll probably re- remain anonymous so I won't say her name but yeah. um, when I was talking to her I was uh, talking about how um, I mean she had a, a mastectomy and um, she just finished over a year of chemo mm-hmm. And, you know, lost her hair and is just sick. You know, you fill in your body with poison. So I was talking to her about that and I was saying, uh, you know, what's it, how, how is it difficult to be in this world where um, everybody seems to have to be a poster child for cancer? Like, yeah. yeah, you know, I can do it. Yeah. And I said, you know, you had to leave your, basically, you know, your youth behind for the last couple of years. Yeah. So she's willing to come on the interview and uh, answer some difficult questions about yeah. that. And I think I got the idea from... And, and just because I don't, I don't know if I missed it, you did or you're about to interview her? We have her scheduled for uh, next week, so should end of March, we should have a cool. a podcast up with awesome. her. Yeah. 
I mean, not, I mean, unfortunate. That's not that came out right. badly. That's 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 yeah. awful for her, especially at twenty eight. But it's she, cool. you know what? It's she cool has that... a great sense of humor, so she 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 would laugh at what you said. Yeah, she, uh, but, she's uh, pretty funny. But it's cool that uh, you know she's gonna get a form to because again, that's it, you know, you know what you say. I think is absolutely true that you know when you know if somebody has cancer, they sort of almost by default, at least in our our culture, become something of a poster child. But like, what if what if that's not what you want? What if you right. just sort of want to privately deal with this thing you're going or, through? Or I mean, what if you feel like shit and you just want to lay in bed all day? Why do you yeah. have to be running around, keeping an upbeat attitude, making everybody else feel <laughs> making everybody else feel good about your right? cancer? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, like like it's your job to make people feel better about the shit that you're going through. Right, exactly. That's a great point. Well, and I'm looking I, forward to that. And I I had started thinking about that specifically. My mom works at a chalk hospital Mm -hmm. and um she she shows me pictures of every halloween every you know valentine's or christmas um with some of the the children there and a lot of them are terminal um Mm. you know they they do the best they can they have santa clauses or everybody dresses up for halloween and you know when you see these uh, commercials on tv the kids just look like i mean that's like the place they want to go to have fun you know that's like a playground yeah but when you see the actual pictures i mean they are just pissed off (laughs) you know what i mean they're not happy and I even said that as a like, man, nobody is smiling. She said they don't feel good. You know, they're, yeah. they're they're going through chemo and radiation. They want to go back to bed, and I, that's what had me start thinking about yeah. the the face that we put on it, and we don't allow people to actually feel yeah. ill. You know, no, that's a great idea. That I think that'll be a great episode. I very much look forward to that. I can't wait to plug your podcast on my podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel like I have to. <laughs> I'll you know what whatever you like, whatever you like. <laughs> Uh, I've plugged your book so many times. That's what. No, I know. No, and I appreciate that too. Because uh, I, I was even, like, I know, like, I know that uh, I, I was actually telling Chanel because, because you know, I told her that uh, you were coming on to talk today, and uh, I was like, you know, I think Nick, like, I know, like, I know he bought my book and and, and he read it, but I'm pretty sure he's bought like more than one copy to like six copies <laughs> to like give to friends. And I was like, like, fuck, that's like the. That's like the nicest thing that anyone and, could possibly do. And bullied do. them into reading it. Because, you know, <laughs> as, as English instructors, we get books yeah. all the time. Yeah. Make promises to read, even if they're not written by the people who gave them to. Right. Make promises to read, you know. Yeah, I'll read 100 Years of Solitude. And right. it, it goes on the shelf. But, no, I, I followed. I'm not kidding. I followed up on every single one <laughs> until I got I, – I forced people to read your book. And uh, they all admitted that they enjoyed it. Oh, that's so cool. Both parts, both the bullying is cool because I can't do that, but but I'm glad that you're doing it. Trying to be a good friend. And that they, <laughs> and that they enjoyed it. That's uh, that's actually nice to hear. If they didn't enjoy it, then I don't know, whatever. Fuck them. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't have any taste. But I'm. <laughs> Uh, but but I'm glad I'm glad that they did enjoy it. But yeah, I, I was I was telling Chanel like yeah yeah Nick has been so just so crazy supportive because one of the things that. Um, one of the things that I found out relatively early on uh, when, you know, when I put the book out is that, you know, I mean, you know, the, you know, like, like friends like yourself have been very supportive and uh, some of my very closest family members who were kind of in on the journey from, from the bottom floor and kind of saw what I was going through to, to even get this book off the ground and kind of get it into the world. They've been very supportive. But one of the first things that I really found out early on, it, it's sort of, uh, you find out really quickly which people really are in your corner. Who mean it? And which, which, which people aren't in your corner. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, and you know, like I, I wouldn't dream of calling anybody out. 
but it's 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 you know one of the things that's been most surprising is you know certain people who I was counting on it's like oh fuck yeah they don't seem to give a shit at all and certain people who might not have ever occurred have occurred to me have become you know just like my biggest cheerleaders and my biggest supporters and I was like fuck that's you know on the one hand that's so great right. and then I almost feel bad that like that you know they weren't even in my head as somebody who would you know care and support and you know I. I, I don't know. This this happens in uh, film, too. When That's right. I actually wanted to talk to you about that. So you're, um, uh, we'll move on from the, po- we'll, we'll come back if we have more to talk okay. about. But you, you're like one of the, you're like one of the busiest motherfuckers <laughs> I know. So, so we'll kind of move on. You're also a, a film, I was going to say a filmmaker, more of a producer, I guess. You're, right. you're an actor uh, and you're also a, a producer, sort of a collaborator, because uh, you know one of your buddies, a mutual friend, but you know one, one of your good buddies, mm-hmm. uh, is a is a filmmaker. We so, can say his name, Edgar oh, Edgar Muniz. Okay, I, uh, I wasn't positive. I've actually talked to to, to Edgar about uh, being on the show, and I look very much forward to right. talking to him about uh, you know the craft of filmmaking. He's kind of an asshole, but his movies are great. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I knew you were joking, but then I was like, fuck, I don't know. What if he? Is? <laughs> Do I really want to ruin my podcast? <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, so, so you guys have collaborated on, uh, a couple of movies and, and usually you as the performer, uh, uh Edgar as the director mm-hmm. and, and, and a couple of instances you as, uh, as the filmmaker. In fact, let me do this before, before I get your take on All it. Right. I'll, I'll run down, I'll, I'll run down your resume. Well, my IMDb credits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me, let me bring this, let me bring this up really quick. All right. So as, a let me see here. You've, you've, you've got quite a few credits. You're credited as a. Uh, stunts, special effects, cinematographer, sound department, actor, as we mentioned. Uh, you've also got some camera and electrical department credits, uh, including assistant camera, best boy, dolly grip, <laughs> <laughs> key grip. Uh, you're very busy, clearly very talented to have all these skills. We'll talk about okay. every, everything that goes into that. Uh, the the movies, though, as far as the, the acting credits, which I suspect are the ones that... Uh, um, you were most involved in um you're wow you guys have been pretty prolific so uh there's a movie starting in, in 2010 called on parade mm-hmm. a movie a few movies in 2011 we all failed daisy then a movie called that was then a movie called from the heart of the crowd and then uh 2012 a couple of movies the rex and a movie called the reunion uh, a couple others in 2012 it's Coulter here, a 2013 movie called The Haley Project. And then uh, uh, the movie that I, I I suspect is sort of your, uh, the, the one that you're most excited about is The Never Daunted. And that one I know you had a lot to do both with the production as well as the the acting. Right. So uh, of those movies, I'm, I'm happy to talk about any of, any of them that you want to talk about. But uh, which one are you, would you like to delve into? I think I'm most proud of The Never Daunted Okay, and we can talk about that one. And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a, a full disclosure. It's it's recently. Uh, I think it was recently on Amazon, right? Just released last week. Just released last week. So um, uh, about a year or so ago, you had a. I think there was a screening of it. I think it was at Cal State Fullerton, yeah, if I remember it. correctly. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what was going on. Uh, I might have had some sort of author event or reading or something, but I, I wasn't able to go, and I was very disappointed. Consequently, I haven't been able to watch it. Um, 
I did buy it though. I, I wanted to do at least one small thing to repay all the support that Nick's given me. So I did buy the movie and I just haven't gotten it in time to watch it before this interview. So I just wanted full disclosure. I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to pretend that, uh, that, that I, that I've seen uh, every scene. I have seen the preview. Uh, so I do have a, a pretty good idea of what the movie's about. Uh, within the, in fact, where can, uh, if folks just want to see a preview, uh, I know that's available. Where, where can they see that? They can see it on Vimeo. They can also see it on uh, Seed and Spark, okay, which is a, a indie movie uh, startup. That, oh yeah, yeah, uh, very uh, supportive of. Um, which is a really cool website. I actually discovered that recently because mm-hmm. of uh, Edgar. I think pointed it out to me, but really cool website. But but keep going. Yeah, so you can watch um, trailers and then you can actually rent it on their website for two ninety nine. That's really cool. And that's where I was going to talk about where I understood how you felt because uh, yeah, after the movie came out, you know, um, we couldn't even get some of the other actors to rent the movie to watch it you know it's wow. just it's just so disappointing something and it's actually an interesting film i like to give him a hard time because most of his movies are about relationships and i also hate seeing myself on screen <laughs> right so when i i can actually watch the the full film you know uh, and watch myself um and grudgingly enjoy the film then <laughs> i think it's a pretty interesting I, okay, so so you were the star of that movie. You were a, a producer. Did you help with the writing of that, or, or who wrote that? No, I didn't help with the writing. I got producer producer credits because I helped, um, you know, find some of the locations. Mm-hmm. Um, found a person with a horse that we used for some of the shots. Oh, cool. Um, there were shots that I actually rode the horse, and I actually know how to ride a horse. The oh, villain, cool. the villain didn't, <laughs> and we had to kind of show him. But the the woman who I know who um, who let us borrow the horse for free. It, uh, she's like six foot uh-huh. and her stirrups were set and so okay. you know I'm 5'8 and so <laughs> basically every shot we tried to get a me on a horse was comical because we're supposed to be galloping and my legs are just flying <laughs> <laughs> out of the stirrups <laughs> as we come around the corner so we couldn't use any of those shots yeah. uh, well I look forward to watching you uh, <laughs> I wish we had outtakes <laughs> riding on a horse then uh, that's cool okay so then what uh Let's see. I, I have a couple of questions, actually. Uh, you know what? Just because I'm always, because I, uh, I love movies and I'm fascinated with the with the with the process of filmmaking. But I've never, you know, with the exception of you know some small projects here and there, um, I've never really engaged in the process of filmmaking. So from you, from the production side, uh, what kind of goes what what kind of goes into to filmmaking? And what might people who love movies but have never actually seen one made? What might what do you think they'd be interested in hearing about or the challenges or anything like that? Well, I would call his filmmaking kind of guerrilla-style filmmaking, mm-hmm. almost like um, Robert Rodriguez-inspired. Oh, you sure. Know, but, I mean, his the, the quality equipment he has is amazing. But um, it takes so much longer than everybody thinks. Oh, yeah. The amount of hours that are filmed and then cut. Um, also, maybe just for me, it's it's not as hard. We, we didn't do as many takes as I thought mm-hmm. we'd normally do. Uh, it's not as hard for me. There's a very natural, organic feel, and I'm always curious. You know how much of the, how much of the the acting, well, not the acting, but you say like the dialogue. Mm-hmm. How much is on the page, and how much is it sort of you know Edgar setting up the scene, and then the actors, sort of working it out improv style. He lets me do most of my my stuff improv, mm-hmm. but he does often have a few lines, and yeah. we'll try it, and then he'll have me improv. So yeah. Now you know how you feel. Right. Now just go ahead and say whatever you want. And then um, sometimes he actually blends both by the cuts, you know, and the edits. Yeah. He'll actually blend both. And I imagine that works out. Like, I imagine you can get away with that because you're, um, 
because uh, you're also you know, you're a creative writer and you've done some you know uh, some, some some fictional writing and the fact that you sort of as a writer are sort of comfortable at least I imagine you know comfortable you know creating a character putting words in their mouth sort of working out what sounds natural that you know in, in terms of being an actor I imagine that same ear is going to sort of you know play in your favor and especially I, I imagine a director would have to be, you know, very happy with that to have somebody who, who you know, does sort of have an ear for for character and and dialogue oh, exactly. and scenes tone and, and, and theme. Yeah, you know what I mean. As soon as I knew the premise of the movie, yeah, the actual theme of the movie. Yeah, because I, I have to imagine that there's a lot of actors who are, you know, like like maybe they have a, a very good talent for for uh, say creating a, a character that feels very you know three-dimensional and a character that feels very real but maybe they have no real concept for for like story or setting or tone right and then the director has to you know work extra hard to make sure that he's taking their talents but blending them into the story and the actor might be uh and, and i'm not saying all actors but i'm sure there are some actors who are probably very oblivious to the story all they know is this is my character i'm on camera i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking knock this out Right. But aren't necessarily thinking about the the story as a whole and what they're you know uh, what they're providing to it. But in your case, especially as a creative writer, you probably do see the whole story. And when you do a scene, my guess is you know exactly how this scene is benefiting the whole story, and you can probably gear, gear your performance you know towards that. Yeah, exactly. And um, I was lucky enough to have a couple of. Um, he doesn't generally use too many actual actors mm-hmm. anymore but it, uh, like my wife in the movie was Celeste Martinez oh cool and um, pl- it was really easy to play off her mm-hmm. I'm not even gonna say that my talent was even close to hers <laughs> you know what I mean it was amazing how fast she could shut it off you know uh, like we had a fight you know I don't want to give away too much of the right. movie but uh, where there was uh, physical violence but in the scene it's, it sounds like I slapped her she actually slapped me and I, I remember <laughs> just being absolutely shocked and that's the scene that we kept <laughs> Uh, because I guess Eddie had told her off said, I don't want to give away too much of stuff. You're going to ask him, you know, just go ahead and just, just slap him, just slap him really hard. Uh, so, um, uh, but which meant, I guess is good because he got a very genuine reaction yeah, on exactly. camera. So it's, it's easy to, to act off that, but no, I, I actually want to bring up a specific example. He, um, earlier on when we were making on parade, we were trying to make some shorts and he had, uh, an actual actor come over and, um, and I, that's when I realized everybody can play angry, but not many, or crazy, but not many people can actually play normal. That's a great point. And so we wanted to do a, a couple of different uh, takes, and uh, he asked this guy, you know, first to be angry with me, and then he said, now, you know, in this scene, you actually, you grudgingly like him. He's your best friend. But we must have done about seven takes, and every time he was angry, and we finally <laughs> just rapped. I'm like, nah, sorry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then I realized that it's actually hard for... Um, even actors that have normal conversations. That's very, that's a and really And I wonder if they're being trained, you know, all to be just overly yeah. dramatic. And... Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and again, somebody like myself who enjoys watching movies, um, I, that's, I've never really even considered that. That's actually something fascinating to, to think about. Mm. Um, really quickly, because I think we kind of passed over it. Again, without giving too much away, uh, could you maybe kind of set up in a, a, a very brief synopsis of uh, what uh, the never daunted is about yeah the never daunted is a modern take of a western mm-hmm. and most westerns and western novels um usually have the theme of men 
you know, they're losing their manhood due to, you know, modernization and mm. women, basically. The only, the only way to leave your mark on the world is through having um, either being a villain, a hero, or, um, or having a son who right. carries on your legacy. And um, my character in the movie has a dead-end job. Um, there's nothing special about him. Mm. You know, there's nothing, you know, I've got like an average if not pudgy body and just like, just a very average Joe you wouldn't even recognize on the street yeah. to stand out. And the one thing he really wants is a child and he can't. And then, so right. that's where the movie uh, takes off from there. You know, kind of loses his mind. That sounds great. I'm very much looking forward to watching it. Uh, so what are some of the uh, other, because again, we we, uh, we ran out the list of movies you've you've acted in. So what are some of the, uh, what's another one of the films you've done with, uh, with Edgar that, that kind of stands out to you? On Parade, I think, is a really underrated movie that we all did together. Mm. My my performance, comparatively, was probably horrible. But um, <laughs> you know, if somebody wanted to watch these films, you know, what are what are their options? You you mentioned some websites. Are those the main places, or are there right? Seed and Spark for sure for um, showing Sydney, which is I don't believe I'm in, but it's one of the newest ones. Mm-hmm. The Never Daunted, and then um, Amazon also has. You can buy the DVDs and rent on That's Amazon awesome. Prime. Yeah. That's really awesome. You can search. They're hard to find because, of course, there's so much on Amazon. If you search oh, yeah. Edgar Munoz's name or you search my name, Nicholas Knoll, um, okay. they'll usually bring up all, all the films. Okay. And what I'll do, too, is uh, you know, once, uh, once we put this episode uh, up, I'll, I'll, give the, uh, I'll put up the links uh, on, on the website. Great. So I've got... Um, You're such a tech-savvy asshole. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we were so freaking mad when we saw your website go up. I was so proud of my website, and then I saw your website. Like, oh my god, this website is beautiful. Oh, uh, thank you. I, you know, and, and I'll tell you what. The one motivation I had in my head was, what can I do to upset Nick? How can I, how can I put this together? If it weren't for you, I might, I might have half-assed it. But I, I, said, I know no. what you could do. Um, knock a book out of the ballpark the first time you write one and <laughs> uh, what's the other thing oh yeah you can do a better podcast than me yeah there you go <laughs> oh you better God. not do any fucking movies i'm gonna i'm gonna I, God, i'm gonna have you on this show every week now right <laughs> this is fun you know my even, we were talking about even my family hasn't seen any of my my uh oh no kidding films. yeah you want to talk about that no no i just you know we were talking about that actually it's okay because the never daunted's a little weird i don't know if i want my family <laughs> to see that one but uh yeah but even just trailers yeah i mean oh. how long you know how long does it take to watch a, tra- a three minute trailer yeah, you know, yeah three minutes and it's amazing how many friends and family um no it's it's so true won't even click on a trailer you know it's so oh, i'm true. busy and it's like really really i bet you clicked on so many trailers today that people are like hey watch <laughs> this cat you know yeah yeah uh, like about a year year and a half ago like chanel when she started her uh her blog and uh and you know, it's this really successful blog that you know that pisses me off because i can't get <laughs> like half the traffic that she gets um but you know when she started this blog one of the first things i told her was you know you know you're gonna you're probably gonna find out like right away that the people that you assume are going to be the most supportive um aren't you know aren't going to be and you know, I, I I think I try to be optimistic in that you know it doesn't mean that they don't love us. It just right. means that for whatever reason, they they take for granted that we need as much support as we can get for these things. And I think she, I think she kind of sort of thought like, well, you know, maybe your family, maybe yours. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. And then yeah, within within a couple of uh, within a couple of weeks, she's like, holy shit, you were like so right, yeah. like, like you know, and and it's that thing where like the people 
you think are going to support it don't and people who you never would have considered become so supportive and then even beyond that you know and i can even speak to this as as an author the people who you know love my book the most and support it the most you know present company excluded are people who i've never met in real life Mm. people who i've uh, you know and people who i'll probably never meet because they don't they don't live anywhere near me in some cases they they literally live in, in countries that I've never visited and they are the, the most supportive, the most enthusiastic. Um, they're like the most excited about, you know, what I'm doing next. And in a way, honestly, I, I kind of reached the point where I realized like, that's all right. Like, like it's, I would rather, I would rather the people who are most supportive be the ones who, who find it and love it mm-hmm. and embrace it because, you know, because they genuinely love it as opposed to, well, you know, Martin's a good guy, and I've known him for a couple of years, so I'm going to go ahead and give my support. Like, that support, right. that, that, you know, yeah, I would never turn that away. But I find that, you know... Which the, is how I started. I remember I remember yeah. even thinking, like, a, I love the cover of your book, but I thought, okay, you know what? I can do I can do a chapter a night. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I can force myself to do it. And, uh, because I, I generally don't like reading books that people I, I know, you know... Which is understandable, yeah. And, uh, um... And knowing that you're an English teacher, I was thinking, oh, man, this thing is going to be so just theme heavy and just, <laughs> you know, dripping with irony. And um, uh, and there definitely is symbolism themes. I mean, just, you know, amazing character development in there. But, man, it was just it was just a page turner. And that's what I loved about it. You just made it fun. Like, you, yeah. you had your audience in mind, which most people, I think, don't think I about I tried that. to. I definitely did try you that. Know, and that, that's I couldn't put it down. Uh, Man, I re- I'm really enjoying this interview. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't put my finger on it. Oh, I wanted to say, you know, I think you're right, though. I, I don't think we can be too mean. Um, you know, as much as uh, I think of myself as a creative person, I don't think my family thinks of me as a creative person. Right. So when you actually do create... That's a great point. They're really not... They don't really have any kind of expectation and don't really want yeah. to take the time. And I think... That on, and then on the other side, um, and I like to use this... Uh, quote that i always screw up badly is what is it that uh hemingway said about reading his friend stuff is that it's either good or bad so i don't want to do it <laughs> yeah i think that's right that you know sounds about right yeah and that just nails it on the head yeah and 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 also you know talking about family like in my case similar to you like with the exception of say my like really close immediate family who again kind of watched my journey pretty much from the ground floor a lot of my family and friends for that matter didn't really know that I was pursuing a writing career mm-hmm. and and even if they even if they did kind of know I either either they didn't know how serious I was about it or they just assumed it wasn't serious so they didn't take it very seriously it, it might have just been like you know just like oh Martin's over there talking about writing but you know how many people have have we met who talk about doing some bullshit but never actually do it so so you know they couldn't really know like how deadly serious I was about you know right. trying to get this career going so then by the time the book comes out I think there's still that lingering feeling of like oh well you know how like how good can it really be because you know how mm-hmm. serious can it really be um which, which again I think lends itself to the fact that the people who have discovered the book are that have been the most supportive again present company excluded it's mostly people who've never met me they don't have a personal relationship with me the only relationship they have is that is that they found this book right and and really and truly those i mean you know i i don't want to say that those are the fans that i prefer because i'm i'm happy when anybody likes the book but i find that they they've been the the most enthusiastic and most supportive fans that i'm you know really thrilled uh and lucky to have because one of the things 
one of the, one of the things about being a, a writer or, or publishing is that, um, and again, I think you, I, I suspect you can relate to this as a, you know, as far as, you know, making films is when I was, when I was writing inside the outside, like there was no audience mm-hmm. we, we except, you know, people like people knew I was writing a book, but there was no audience. There was nobody that was like waiting for it. And in fact, in motive, in, in motivation terms, that actually, and some that sometimes made it difficult to write because there'd be some days where like I wasn't feeling the motivation. So you, just didn't, you didn't have a deadline. And it's like, yeah, who, yeah, no one's no one's asking for this fucking book. What am I even doing? No, nobody's ever going to read this book. Why am I dedicating so many hours to this? Mm-hmm. And then eventually get over that and you know write the book. And so so now that the book is out and it's actually found uh, a readership, that's it's the most exciting thing in the world. Because now when I sit down to write, it's super exciting because it's like. Like I know, like in a tangible way, like there's people out there, right? And they're so excited, and then I get excited. And it's like I can't wait to write this next book because I can't wait for them to read it. Uh, and that now, just sort now of you know, everything. even if I hate it, there's plenty, <laughs> there's plenty of people out there that love it. But yeah, that that's the thing. Uh, of course, you know, it's never fun when somebody hates it. I've I've actually talked on the podcast before about uh, the the very you know painful reality of of not just people not liking the book but actually taking the time to write about it <laughs> in a forum that I'm actually going to come across. And so reading bad reviews is sort of a, a nice way to ruin your day. Right. I've gotten better at, I, I've gotten, I like to think that I've gotten better at sort of taking a bad for, a review for, for what it is, but it's still, you know, it's still not very fun. Well, I think the the problem with reviews and I ran into this in, you know, uh, workshops at UC Riverside when I was being a creative writing major is yeah. uh a lot of people just like to say, you know, I hate it, but nobody yeah. ever wants to give you anything constructive. Yeah. Why they did. I just, I just do. Yeah. Yeah. And I've even found, and, and I think this is related, but sometimes I'll see, uh, you know, I'll, I'll check out my book on Amazon. I like to see how it's doing. And then sometimes I'll see that I got a new review. It's like, oh, great. Although I always get nervous because like the first thing I see is that there's a new review. I see that the number's gone up. So my first, I was like, oh, cool. Somebody reviewed it. And then I was like, oh, fuck, but what if they hated it? Oh, I don't, do I really want to check? I should leave this alone. I know that if I was in a very healthy mental place, I would just leave it alone. I don't need to read this. That's why, that's why I don't but, read my, uh, rate my professor. <laughs> I know, I, I, I stay away from that too. That I definitely stay away from because I, I, it would only take one bad review to, to fucking ruin right. my day. But then I was like, oh, I'm going to know this review's here all day. And even if I, even if I stay away today, I'm going to have to read it. Just get it over with, bite the bullet. It might be good. And so, uh, so like recently, I, I, somebody put up a new review, like I think a few days ago, a week or so ago. So I checked it out. Uh, and, and luckily, it was a nice review. They had very nice things to say about the book. Uh, based, on the, based on their review, they seemed to really enjoy it. But they gave me four out of five stars, which I can live with. It's a nice review. Mm-hmm. But then I had that thought of like, What's, it sounded like you loved it. Maybe that person just doesn't believe in perfect scores. There's that. I, I also think about like the Olympics, like the Winter Olympics just right. passed. And uh, like I know in, say, like ice skating, the the first performer, the first ice skater, no matter how great they are, they're not going to get a perfect score because the judges sort of want to save room for, you know, right. other performers. There might be something that to it. And again, I don't want to go too much further without saying, like, I'm thrilled that somebody read the book, thrilled that they liked it, thrilled that they gave me four stars. So I hope this doesn't sound like I'm complaining because I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not. Well, you know, on, on Yelp... Uh for instance, if you look at the star rating on Yelp, um, when I do leave ratings, I actually take it seriously. Like, uh, yeah. I think five is like a, out of this world. There's nothing else like it. Yeah. Four is I really liked it. 
three is I liked it, and two is meh. I've had better, right? Yeah. And I left a two star review for a place, and I I was actually um, really gentle. Like the the service was great, everybody had a great attitude, but um, you know, for being like a you know they advertise themselves as having great beer, they just really didn't. Right. And it was kind of expensive. So I, I have had better. And then the person, uh, the owner actually contacted me. And, uh, oh, that's interesting. Um, and I and it was very respectful, but just obviously just hurt to the core uh, for <laughs> yeah. a two-star you know, review. And I, I just explained it to him. It's not that – it's not even that I won't ever go back. It's just that to me that – Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, on, uh, you know, you know, on Amazon, if you, if you check out my book, there um, – there's a one star review on there and, and, and whoever the reviewer is, you know, he or she, like they fucking hated it. <laughs> like they fucking hated the shit out of it. I wonder if it was me. <laughs> Cause I loved it so much. <laughs> you were just going to write a secret review just, just yeah. to balance things out. Right. And, uh, and they wrote like a really long review it was practically an essay. I think I was, I was curious. I actually did a word count. It's like a 700 page or 700 words of just like, they fucking hated it. But to their credit, they were very specific <laughs> about why they hate it, and they they clearly read the book because it was a very detailed review. And so it was like, as 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 much as as, as much as it kind of sucked to see someone hated the book, it's like, well, you know, they, they clearly read it, so they, they they spent some money, they read it. All right, I can yeah. I guess I can live with that. Especially if you told they read it all the way to the end. Yeah, in fact, I think in the review, I think they literally said they read the book three times. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome and you know and, and you know if i remember the review correctly i think it was like they were trying to give me a chance i'll read it again just to make sure i didn't hate it as much <laughs> as i think i did and apparently they just kept hating it three times in and then yeah. went ahead and wrote a review and you know i that one that, that was one of those reviews that you know it's it, it stung and it kind of messed up my day i, I count that as a success i can <laughs> <laughs> i think I've read, I've read your book twice so i, I know i was like yeah i guess that, that's sort of because again like you know as we said earlier there's people who've known me my whole life who haven't read it once right so i i can live with that and i've also I, i've also reached the point where at least i, I try to be in this very he- healthy place of you know um if somebody spends their own money on the book and they take the time to read it, then they have every right to say right. whatever they want to say. I hope it's something good, but once they reach that point, they can say whatever they want. There was one instance where, uh, when I was promoting the the book early on, and I did a, a giveaway on Goodreads.com, so I did a, a big giveaway and it was really successful. Um, uh, I think there was like well over a thousand people, you know, entered to try to get the book. Three people won. So I, uh, you know, and uh, so I sent out, you know, three, uh, three copies of the book and again, and, and again, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a martyr, but you know, like I packed it up. I went to the post office. I, I paid for the right. postage, you know, and, and you know, I, I did all that and I was happy to do it because they were, they were cool enough to, to get involved in this giveaway. And, um, and so with a Goodreads giveaway, part of the idea is, you know, that you'll read the book and, you know, you don't have to read the book, but they they highly encourage you to read the book and leave a review as sort of part of, you know, being mm-hmm. in the giveaway. And um, so one of the, the giveaway winners left me a, a two-star review. And again, I was sort of like, well, I mean, like they read the book and I guess that's fine, but wait, they didn't fucking pay for this book. Yeah, right. I sent them the book. And again, okay, whatever. They you shouldn't know, even they, get the option to, <laughs> to rate it. Yeah. So so if so if I'm going by my, my, my policy, you, you spent money, you read it, okay, leave a review. But there's got to be a, an area where, okay, you read it, but I gave you that book. Right. At, at least, you know, you, at least cut me, but just at least don't say something shitty. I don't know. But anyway, but even that, you know, to be honest, I'm kind of making light of it. I, I can live with it. I really can. It's like I'll wear a, 
a shitty t-shirt and if somebody says anything about it it's because i got it for free <laughs> yeah you know what i mean I yeah i got it somewhere i went to it's like I, I love this shirt because i got it for free yeah and and you know one of the things that i found and and i imagine that you know like you and edgar have probably discovered something similar with with you know producing your films is that you know on the one hand whatever anytime you do something creative it's it's all it's very you know subjective you know no matter how good of a job you do it's not going to be for everybody and so one of the one of the nice things about you know having this having my book be out for a couple of years is that you know just slowly but surely the people who find it and love it um those are the people that i can sort of embrace it's like okay this is my readership these are the people that i'm writing for when somebody doesn't like it i'd rather that they liked it but okay if they didn't like it it just means that it wasn't for them it's you know it's kind of like dating you know it the book's not for everybody the more people I can find who like it, you know, the the better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as you guys, in, in terms of you know putting out these movies and um, sort of you know the the movies finding audiences, have you found something similar? You know, or actually, because do is there even a forum to find out who is enjoying the movies? And do the, is there a way for them to to voice and let you guys know that they're enjoying the movies? Uh, film festivals, uh, you know, um, I think it's Sonic Cinema. You mm-hmm. know, small. Uh, small um independent you know movie reviewers those do um like i said uh seed and spark again yeah that's um the person who started that also works with sundance oh that's great and um i actually am the one that submitted the never daunted to to sundance oh awesome um because we we you know it's expensive to to oh yeah submit movies no it's not cheap and it kills you every time you know maybe you spend 50 bucks um, cause you have to pay to ent- enter your movie and it takes a lot of work. Um, you have to package it exactly how they say and everything. Yeah. And then you send it off and then you can just imagine a lot of these, uh, small independent companies that you don't even hear back from ever. Some of them, yeah. um, you know, these film festivals and just pocketing your check and yeah. throwing your DVD in a pile in the corner. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's yeah. Disheartening. Yeah. That's a terrible feeling. Cause I mean, cause you know, cause, cause I've been there too in terms of, trying to find avenues to to get more eyes on on the on my book and you know in some cases it's like with a film festival it makes sense that they would have you know a charge because they they put a lot of work into the festival it take right. they take time to watch it you know it makes sense got to rent the equipment it's yeah. but it's but then it's like still it's like uh you know for for you guys it's like this is like this is this is your money it's coming out of your pocket and it, it feels very much right. like you're gambling and it's like well i don't know what if you're 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 putting money on the table gambling that you've done a good a job good enough job on this movie that you know whoever's judging this festival will you know will will accept you into it right i mean i i think and they don't do this but they should um getting you know everybody expects to get rejected but getting a, a rejection letter should include why yeah that'd be nice you know or at least one sentence of mm-hmm. why you know we found that the, the quality wasn't good enough or um we had an issue with the themes you know the acting yeah you know, at least a check off that they can copy and paste into yeah. these rejection letters, yeah, but you yeah. know, they just don't. And that's, yeah. Like even if it's something that's, even if it's say like constructive, but it's, but you don't agree with it at the very least, you know, where you guys like differed, um, or, you know, or, or maybe they, something, right. they say something useful. And then on the next film, you remember that and you can apply it. But yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Especially, you know, cause again, it is, you know, like 50 bucks, 75 bucks, you know, it's not a you know, hundred bucks in some cases, you know, and, the, the, Even if it's free, you're shipping. You know, you have to burn that DVD, get a package thing, yeah. for it. You're, um, and then you're shipping it. You know, 
I mean, nothing's nothing's free to, to submit. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and even beyond the money itself, just the the time that, that you take out of your data right. to go through this, it, it it's a whole it's a whole huge uh, operation. And again, you know, you're sort of self motivated, kind of carving this time out of your day when there's you know uh, a million other things that that are you know that that you're kind of juggling. Actually, that's something else I wanted to talk about. So this this is a maybe a good transition to get into okay. it. So you and I uh the way that we initially met is um we're we're both college professors. We're both English professors. And uh we met at uh we met at the Mount San Antonio College mm-hmm. and then you know locally everyone who goes there or works there, you know, we call it Mount Sac. And I think if I'm not mistaken, I might have been there maybe like a year. Uh, roughly maybe even less than that maybe like seven or eight months but i think i got there like just before you and um and so for me i felt very much like i was um you know i I felt like i was kind of like alone on an island which is kind of what sort of being a college professor sometimes feels like or at the very least a adjunct professor which which we'll get into that but it feels very much like you're sort of like you know like a lone person on an island because we don't have co-workers yeah yeah we really don't have co-workers the closest thing we have is like our students and they're not co-workers but they're the the people that we see every day and so i kind of you know i think without really realizing it i think i kind of embrace the reality of i'm just sort of like this this sort of alone on an island kind of like this hired gun just kind of floating through the school going from class to class teaching or whatever and so i was in the uh the just sort of the, the office one day, the sort of communal office where we've got, you know, computers and we can kind of do some work and you happen to be in there. And, uh, and thank goodness you, you seem to have a totally different perspective on, uh, life or I don't know what it was, but like, you know, in a really nice, simple way, you just took a second to say hi. And as simple as that <laughs> was like in my head, it was like, why didn't I fucking think of that? I could just say hi to people. <laughs> like, like me, didn't even fucking occur to me, but you just said hi and it was like so nice. I was like, "Oh, you see me? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not invisible." And then, uh, and then we just started rapping. And within like five minutes, I think we, you know, like right away, I just felt like I'd known you forever. Uh-huh. And then I think, um, you know, some other teacher happened to pass through, and you knew them because apparently you, you say hi to other people. Well, <laughs> it's like, wow, he just like knows people. I never thought about this. That's such a great idea. And then someone else came in, and I was like, "Oh, then this is Martin. This is you know, so and so." And within like five or ten minutes, like like I met a few other teachers. Uh, we got to rapping, and it was like, man, I, I got to fucking be more like Nick. That was like the, the easiest fucking thing. And from that moment on, that was, I don't know what that was, maybe five or six years ago. I'm a good wingman, too. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, yeah, you're the best. And so um, and so, so, so we met like that. I don't even know if you remember, but I remember it like super clearly. And, and, you, and we've been, you know, we, we made, we've been fast friends ever since. And uh, right. so, so we met there, and, and we we're both college professors. And, um, and we've had countless discussions on the the sort of realities of being an adjunct college right. professor in fact i'll let I'll, I'll i'll let you take it from here for the listeners who maybe they've never even heard the word adjunct which is entirely possible uh you can kind of go ahead and explain to them what it means to be an adjunct college professor and i'll kind of help uh, fill in the blanks sometimes we're referred to as part-time yeah. professors but that's not even true uh, yeah. we're technically temporary employees yeah and um yeah and so it- temporary in fact that between semesters technically we're unemployed correct yeah and um even when we are offered classes for the next semester there's always a caveat that says that they can cancel them at any time right and uh and just take that away um and uh well the, actually the discussion i was having with you uh, prior to us recording was mm-hmm. um it's gotten to the point where most of the community actually knows 
what an adjunct is now. Even yeah. students know yeah, the difference between a full time and an adjunct. Yeah, because I know when I was in school, I don't think I had any idea. Neither did I. But now, now uh, everybody definitely does, including my own family. And they, you know, there's definitely this idea of uh, when are you going to get a real job, kind of. Thing. <laughs> yeah, cause, you know, because again, like a full time professor. Just to be clear, it's like you know they've 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 got a certain amount of job security. They work at one school. They've got an office. They've got you know all the benefits. They teach. You know they they. They're for the most part, you know, guaranteed a, a certain number of classes, and then the, then the adjuncts, the part-time teachers, you know, we fill in, you know, the the rest of the classes, but you know, we work on a part-time basis. Usually at, at different schools, a lot of adjuncts they they manufacture full-time schedules. So you know, in in my case, I work at a couple of schools. I know you work at two or three schools. Right. Last um, semester, I was teaching seven classes. No seven kidding. Seven sections. Yeah. That's crazy. Because again, like a full-time in terms of like the technical technical job description. A full-time teacher is going to teach like three or four classes, or four, depending right. on the school. So seven classes. At the same school. Yeah, at the same school. Because, again, part of the reality of being an adjunct, if you teach at different schools, um, you're, you're doing a lot of driving. They, they call, you know, sometimes they call us freeway flyers. And, um, and so one of the things that I was really surprised to find out early on is like the, the full-time professors represent, you know, roughly 20 to 30 percent of the faculty it's uh, actually a lot less is it less than that yeah. that's crazy um i it probably most most places it's uh, 20 or below wow yeah that's crazy and then, and then the rest of us or the rest of the faculty is filled up with the with the with adjuncts but then um but anyway, anyway go ahead I, I i don't know if i i jumped on one of your points but go ahead no no i liked what you were talking about with the commuting because um, a lot of people would say well what's you know what are you complaining about you know you have a uh, weekends off or something like that yeah like i used to i used to work at um restaurants and it was you know you were every oh, weekend was gone yeah but absolutely. uh we don't have weekends off no, no you know we spend uh well and when i was teaching the uh, seven class schedule for instance um i remember when i did have an opportunity to go out with my girlfriend or something mm-hmm. i wouldn't go unless she drove because i just got to the point <laughs> i of hating driving yeah so much that i just could not get back in my car yeah and, yeah like if somebody like like right now like if somebody looked at either one of our like work schedules the only place that we're like obligated to be contractually is there's you know certain hours in the week a couple days a week that we have to be in the classroom and so if you just looked at our schedule somebody could be like oh that looks like a great schedule you (laughs) only work a couple hours a week only working 12 hours a week wow uh and you know but the reality is you know whatever whatever the appearance of free time is we still have to we have a lot of like we're you know we're we're grading papers, copies. We're, we're making copies. We're 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 preparing lesson plans, where there's any number of things that are that, that's filling that time, and uh and you know some if if you're not careful, all of that free time will will get absorbed because you kind of get lost in sort of you know lost in this job, and it, in my case it took a lot it it took a few years of of kind of gaining experience to figure out you know, a, a really sort of constructive way to balance my schedule, to balance, to make sure that I was right. like leaving time, uh, just for my, for my personal life, time to just, just fucking play video games, watch mm-hmm. TV, uh, or creatively, you know, finding time to, to, to write my novel or even to, to work on this podcast. And that's one of the things we were talking about even before we started recording is that, is that very difficult tightrope of, you know, the, we, we have, we have this we have a job so we have this you know this professional obligation that that we that we need to help sort of you know uh pay our bills and then we have these things that that we want to do we want to we want to write books we want to make movies we we want to podcast this is the stuff we enjoy 
but until we've reached a point where that stuff is you know paying our bills for us we have to balance it with the with the job and so especially our job you know because sometimes i think if i had a regular nine to five job which i'm glad i don't i don't think i could handle it frankly (laughs) but but if we had a regular nine to five job in a way it would almost be at least i imagine it would be easier to organize my creative life because i know exactly what hours i'm working right i know exactly where my free time is because a lot of times, especially as, as teachers, you know, on a on a Saturday afternoon, uh, and I bet you can relate to this, mm-hmm. I might be sitting and watching a movie or playing video games or whatever, and there might be some part of me that's like, I should be grading. I should be grading right yeah. now. I should be, I should, you know what, I've got this lesson. I should be, I should be writing this lesson plan. I should be doing something. Whereas if I had a regular nine to five job, you know, once I clock out, like I know that, that this time right. is mine. And in your case, because, you know, because we're very similar that you're very creatively driven and you love engaging in creative projects and i know because we've talked about it you've got uh a couple a handful of really really good ideas for novels that that you know i i'm constantly prodding you to fucking right. sit down and write this novel because i want to because i want to read it and uh and i know and i know it has nothing to do with motivation because i know that you want to write it right it's just the reality it's just fucking tough and you're tired you're you're tired and the other thing and you mentioned it but even just just the driving like i was thinking about this just recently because again because sometimes i i'm even guilty of of you know just thinking like why am i so tired today i mean i just you know the 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 reality of our job is is uh it's not horribly like in the classroom it's not grueling like we're in a room it's usually air conditioning it's usually yeah, air right. conditioned yeah. where we're standing and, and we're talking and, and that's uh, actually the fit my the favorite part of my job is actually being in the classroom. Yeah. And so then I think, you know, like what was my day so hard? Why am I so tired? Then I remember, oh, that's right. I fucking drove for like three hours today. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, stuck exactly. in traffic and I was, you know, looking for parking and I was hiking around this campus and that campus. And then I realized, OK, yeah. So it's not and it, so it's not the actual classroom stuff, because I agree that part's actually fun. And you know, to, to hang out with, with students and talk about right. reading and writing, that's actually really nice. It's just like all these other things that I think when we first got the job, you know, there's no real way to prepare for it. And in a lot of ways, no, we didn't really know a lot about it until mm. till we got the job. You know, this, it sounds off track, but it's really not. I heard that a lot of... Um veterinarian schools are being criticized for offering uh, you know the same amount of uh, spots for vet students as mm-hmm. they've always had and there's something like um, 5,000 qualified veterinarians that can't get jobs because there aren't any veterinarian oh, wow. jobs yeah. and if you think about it this should be happening the same at schools that are offering master's degrees for people who are um, going for you know full time um, mm-hmm. professor jobs eventually like mm-hmm. I was telling someone the other day um I actually wouldn't mind being an adjunct and putting up with the schedule if I knew that even if it was 10 years. Yeah. You know, in 10 years, if you follow this track, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah you know, yeah, looking yeah. at your reviews, modifying, um, you're going to have a full-time job. But the reality is uh, that only 15% of um, people actually get hired full-time in their whole life. I mean, there's... Yeah, that's insane. There and are people in their 60s. Mm-hmm. I think there's someone even 70. I remember, I remember when I first started teaching and i went to one of those you know begin at the beginning of the semester they'll every department has a meeting and so it's like i think i think it was literally my first semester and so i was at this sort of you know big department meeting and uh and so there was a guy at the meeting and you know he had been an adjunct for it was his 20th year and so my thought was like 
well, 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 gosh, what's he doing wrong? Yeah, right. I mean, you know, how'd he screw up? And uh, yeah, because like in three or four years, I'm gonna, I'll be set. <laughs> and then a couple years into it, it's like, okay, I, I totally see how twenty years right. can fly by, and you'll and you'll never, because again, there's so many, there's so many, you know, insanely qualified teachers, yourself, right. you know, yourself included, who you but know, yeah. it where it's tough, where it's like, you know. The full time positions, it's just there there's a right. there's a finite number of those jobs. Especially where, where we teach in California, it's insanely competitive because it's such a big state. There's so many people. Right. Um and and uh, and you know, if you've ever looked at uh the say like like the job like uh, the job qualifications or requirements uh-huh. in California, you know, that they you know, like they, they ask for everything. You know, they they, they wanna make they want you to have, you know, like a like like a PhD and a master's right. and a couple of books published and you spend some time on the moon which and crazy because uh, it's NASA and you know in other states to teach at a two year college you only need a bachelor's degree you only need the the degree higher than the actual degree you're yeah. teaching qualified students for I think before you started teaching on on the college level uh, or maybe I think it was before but you actually taught internationally right right yeah um, so what so you taught uh, in China China yeah and right. I think you were there what a couple of weeks or was it longer than that. Uh, it was a month each time I went. Um, oh, how many times have you done it? Twice, just twice. Okay, twice uh, was twice was enough. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine that experience. But go ahead and talk about that. Like, like for example, did you speak any Chinese going into the no, experience? No, but I, I learned a lot when I was there. Um, it's actually a, a simple language if you pick up the tone. I've mm-hmm. forgotten most of everything. I can still ask for a beer in Chinese. <laughs> of which, course uh, you can. You know, if you learn how to ask for a beer and. Uh, also, to say you're a pretty woman in uh, any language, you can pretty much get by in any country. That <laughs> that's really good advice. Yeah, that might that might have made this whole episode. Or is that worth chicken? That's the... another one. I... <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, how did you even get into that? Honestly, because you were still in college, right? I think. Yeah, that was through Cal Poly. It was through the the grad program. Okay, so and the California Polytechnic University in, in Pomona. Pomona. Yeah, and um, really awesome program. And one of the things that really hit me there um besides just all the culture shock was just the word teacher mm-hmm. and i mean they're so westernized now you know just just absolute capitalists the chinese <laughs> and as much as they try to say they're not uh-huh. um but just the word teacher there was um like you had just told them that you know you were a rock star in your country <laughs> no um, kidding anywhere we went anywhere we went uh, deferred treatment um teachers aren't necessarily paid amazing there although they're paid um if you look at the skill here they're actually paid pretty well okay but um they're usually offered housing oh wow um and all all teachers mm-hmm. they don't have like a that's awesome. you're a temporary teacher you know once you're part of the team you're part of the team yeah. and uh you know students want you to come over to their their houses for dinner and their parents make you these massive meals and I was thinking for a while that it was just, oh, we're, you know, the, we're the Westerners. They're just trying to impress us. But yeah. then I realized that they actually did it with other teachers, uh, with their Chinese teachers, too. And Wow, that's so awesome. Yeah. So um, we definitely have a different view of teachers. We need, yeah, we need to get that going out here. If you, tell, if, you know, uh, I have had a couple of people tell me, um, and I, I don't think they meant it disrespectfully. I think they were trying to empathize with me, but, you know, I'll never let my child become a teacher. And it's <laughs> like... Uh, I, but you know, I, yeah, I think I get that. I see where you're going. It's go like ahead. you're, you know, they're they're a failure in life. But uh, man, every most other places in the world, it's totally different respect. Our positions as as adjunct professors, um, in in the in in the large scope of thing, it's not the most you know, it's not the most revered position. But by the same token, 
you know, when when we're in the classroom, when when you take all that other stuff away, right? That's my and kingdom. When we're in the classroom and we've got these students, and uh, especially if it's a great class where they're really excited and enthusiastic, and they want and, and they want to learn, and you have something to offer them, it's great. But but uh, one of the main things that I think I wanted to talk about too, though, again, is sort of the the balance of being a creative person and wanting to engage in these creative endeavors, but then having the reality right. of needing to supplement that with, you know, with, with a job. And, and in my case, I've been really fortunate that I've, that I've, uh, you know, that I've uh, enjoyed some success as an author and I've, and it's, uh, you know, and I've actually been able to, to, to earn money as an author because there's, there's a lot of writers who are exceedingly talented and have put out great books and just for whatever reason, you know, they haven't, they haven't, struck a chord with the right audience or whatever. So, so, uh, so I'm lucky to have that, but, um, but like, I, like I know in your case, again, you've got, like I said, you've got these great ideas for, for books and, uh, and I'm, I prod you all the time about sitting down and writing these books. I have terrible insomnia. So I usually will get up around three or four in the morning. That's when I'm most productive Mm -hmm. and I will start to write. And then I'll realize that I just have an insane amount of energy and think <laughs> I can actually take this energy and I can grade almost all my essays <laughs> within the next few hours with yeah. this amount of energy where it's generally, it's so energy sapping to do it, it you is. know? And then uh, that, that's what I'll do. And, um, and even if you tell yourself I'll grade first and then I'll write, as you say, you grade, you've sapped your energy. Now that you're done, you, it's just not really there. You, right. Where's the energy to, to write? It's tough. So aside from you know teaching and uh, producing independent films uh, and podcasting, uh-huh. you're you might be the only person I know who actually does like volunteer work, like really wonderful, socially uh, socially important volunteer work. So so yeah, please go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, I, I do um, Meals on Wheels, and uh, specifically, um, president of the Claremont Meals on Wheels which is really impressive. Again, like if you were just volunteering, I would still be really crazy <laughs> impressed, but that you're like actually uh, the, the president of this particular uh, uh, chapter. But yeah, right. go ahead. Go ahead. Like I think, I mean, I, for the most part, I know what it is, but both for me and listeners who have no idea what's Meals on Wheels. Meals on Wheels um, is an organization, There's and there's tons of them, and there's some that are actually federally funded mm-hmm. that deliver food to homebound and 90 i'd say 95 percent of those um homebound are are elderly okay yeah. and what they do is um sometimes they pay a small fee others are subsidized and um with um we actually have to order foods so we do pay for it so we're mm-hmm. privately funded from donations and um we have volunteer drivers and volunteer supervisors mm-hmm. and make sure that the food is safe diabetic safe um a lot of people have specific diet issues and uh, we deliver the food to them, and usually it's uh, what we would consider one meal. It's considered two meals, right? And uh, it's a like a lunch bag and one hot dish. Uh, you know, usually around sometime in the morning, a little bit before lunch. And a lot of what people don't realize is that often we are the only you know attachment to the outside world that a lot of oh sure these people have. Yeah, and sometimes that can be really uplifting and it, sometimes uh-huh. it can be very depressing too because you know there are times when you are the person that has to call the police because you suspect that the person you know has passed away oh wow but um wow 
Yeah. One thing I'd like to say too, uh, in your, you know, just to sort of, you know, shine you up a little bit more if people aren't already impressed for the listeners. Uh, I can vouch that Nick, not only is, have you been doing this for as long as I've known you, but, um, you have no ulterior agenda. It's not like I'm going to, there, there's nothing cynical about your volunteer oh, work. Right. It's not like, you know, I'm going to volunteer so that I can, you know, so now I can go apply for other jobs right, and they'll think right. that I'm a really great person. And I also don't do it uh, to get into heaven because I'm not religious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is, you know, just a genuinely selfless act from, you know, just a, a member of our community who, you know, sees an important need and fills it just because, you know, just because it's right. the right thing to do. I mean, all soci- all societies that have been successful have always been the altruistic ones. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they're the ones that take care of each other, and and I think we're losing that. So the other person, so there's that person, and then there's the other person who um, thinks that community service is for criminals. <laughs> right. And, uh, and our our state and our legislator is mostly to blame for that. Right. I've I've gone to apply for volunteer positions before, and uh, I won't name the senior center that I went to, but <laughs> okay. Um, they actually kept asking me for my paperwork and I kept saying, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. This is why I'm here. If you have something for me to fill out and they were being really rude. Uh-huh. And finally some guy said, your court paperwork. And I said, I don't have court paperwork. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, I'm just here to volunteer. And he said, you just, and he said, he was working there. He said, you just do this when you don't have to. And I said, yeah. And they actually never called me back. You know, people aren't just homeless. People aren't just hungry uh, during Christmas and Thanksgiving. You know, there's just people that need help every day. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's days where, uh, where you know, like I'm at home and I'm hungry and I realize that my fridge is empty and I don't feel like going out. <laughs> so I wonder if there's, if there's a Meals on Wheels for healthy, capable adults. Yeah, it's called Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this has been an awful lot of fun. Yeah. I really thanks, for, hey, thanks for making me feel good about myself. I, I, no, it was my I'll, pleasure. I'll stick around in the world for another week or two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and, and now that we're wrapping up the episode, I don't mind telling you that uh, this was all a ploy to get you to start working on your novel. I will. I'll do it. <laughs> all right. And especially now that I have it on the record and the listeners know that, right. uh, that Nick is, is, a, is a very talented writer well, thank you. who has a book in him that you would love if we can just get him to sit down and fucking write it. <laughs> I'd love to tell everybody about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, so yeah, so you know, uh, in fact, how is there any, um, uh, how how could people uh, get in contact with you if they wanted to? What what are some venues that people can reach you? Um, well, about the podcast, especially if anyone's interested, leftpodcast at gmail dot com okay, is perfect. what they could email us at, and um, they could visit our website too, the leftpodcast dot com. Okay. Well, that sounds perfect. And they could, you could always, you know, if anyone co- contacted you, you can. Yeah, absolutely. Them. Yeah, at the very least, if you if, if you want to get in touch with uh, Nick or you know Michelle Dowd, uh, and uh, and you don't have their information or you can't find their information, uh, just get in contact with me because you know you've got uh, my my you know just go to the website, go to the uh, the contact page, and you'll see all my my info on there. You know, Twitter as usual, you can find me or or, or Facebook. Or whatever you know, and uh, and I and I'm I'm very happy to facilitate you know any any possible future guests for you guys. Well then, uh, okay, we'll go ahead and wrap that up. It was it was a right. it was a pleasure talking to it's you. Pleasure man. being here. Thank you. So there you have it. That was my buddy Nick Knoll. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we enjoyed having that conversation 
for you. Uh, I always love spending time with Nick. Uh, so especially, you know, now that uh, that we both have podcasts, it's nice that we can actually you know, sit down and turn on the microphones and really have the same conversations that we've always had over the last six or seven years. But now we get to record them and, and, uh, and put them on the show for you guys. If you'd like to watch Nick's movie, The Never Daunted, go to martinlestrapshow.com and click on the shot page. And there on the shot page, you'll see a link. For the Never Daunted, you'll see a, a little a little icon with the with the DVD cover. Go ahead and click on that, and that's going to take you straight to Amazon. So you can buy it there on Amazon, and by going through the through the website, whether you click on the icon or whether you click on the Amazon banner, you're helping out the show. Because anytime you do your shopping on Amazon and you do that shopping through the show, any money you spend, the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, we get a very small percentage of that. And again. The, the money that, that gets kicked back to us does not get added onto your bill. So your shopping experience is going to be identical to what it would be otherwise, except you've helped send a little bit of money our way, and all we do with that is we reinvest it into the show, and it helps us with the, with the production uh, of our program to make it as good as we can possibly make it. And that's what we want to do for you guys. So now that you've listened to this conversation with my buddy Nick Knoll, my guess is uh, for many of you this is your first experience listening to the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour because I imagine that you're friends of Nick's who are checking out the show to see what he has to say. Probably making sure he's not talking shit about you. That's cool. So long as you're here, go back and visit some of the other episodes. We've done a couple. Uh, chances are you're going to find something you like in there. And also, if any of you want to want to get in contact with me, uh, remember you can always hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at Martin Lestraps. And of course, check out the website, martinlestrapshow.com. All right, well, once again, thanks again for joining me here on the program, and I look very much forward to seeing you here again next week. And until then, everybody, I will see you on the other side.